I am amazed at what they can buy, like cups full of anything stacked up. There's like fish in them, their dog. I can't even get my dog to like sit and stay still, let alone balance it in something. Um, I love so much of what um, they said, even just talking about balance in there. Um, the one guy said, I fail 80% of the time, but the 20% that I'm successful makes it worth it. And, uh, you know, as we're in our series about finding balance in our lives, sometimes that's what it's going to feel like, that we're going to try and apply some balance this week. You're probably going to fail. You're not going to get everything right, right off the bat. And that's okay, because when we do get it right, it's totally worth it. It's really going to mean a lot. And before I get into my message, for those of you guys filling out um, those Connect cards, um, if you turn those in at the Resource Center after service, we have a free gift for you. Um, So please do that. Um, we're in our series, like I said, Finding Balance, and we're using this picture that Solomon gave us in Ecclesiastes 7.18. And he says, it is good that you grasp the one and you do not let the other one slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them and avoid both extremes. And that's like what we need to find in life, that, that really that the, the fear of God is finding ourselves in the middle in this balance. And I don't know about you guys, but I... I'm really enjoying this series. Um, every week as I'm studying and prepping for the next one, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm being challenged um, to really find better balance in my life and finding places where yeah, I'm going to have to make some adjustments and, and get things right in my life so that I can better model um, this idea of balance for you. And I hope that these things are happening in your life as well. Um, over the, the course so far, um, we've been laying some foundational things about balancing work and rest, um, about how to steward our money, how to have loving relationships, you know, and um, all of those things really lead us to um, what we're going to talk about today. And it's been something that's been on my mind and I've kind of put little pieces of it here and there every week. But today we're going to talk about how to be here, how to be present, how to stay in the moment. Um, because it, I don't think we can actually balance our lives unless we're really focused on here, because it's really hard to bring balance to something that you're not even in or a part of. Um, I'm coming to find that this idea of being balanced is really being kind of extreme, but in each moment that you have and not being stuck in that same moment, um, kind of an all-in approach. If you're resting, you go all out and you rest. You know, if you're working, you give it your all. If you're loving someone, give them your all. Use your money to the best that you can in the moment that you are in. If you're single, be single for God in that moment. If you are married, then give your all to your spouse, right? Do your best to be transformed by God in each moment that you can so that you're available for God to use you, right? You, you can't be balanced if you're not here, and I'll be honest, I am the worst at this probably more than anybody else my entire life. I live as a daydreamer. I often drive places and don't remember anything from my drive. I haven't gotten very many accidents, so that's a good sign. But I, I'm constantly just in my head thinking about things. And I remember like so much of my life growing up and even really till recent that all I did was look forward to the next big thing. You know, the next vacation, the next trip, the next church camp, the next church event, the next time I'm hanging out with my friends, you know, the the next, next, next. And I never really focused on the now. I'm I'm not so much of a worrier. You know, I don't get caught up too much in my past, but I, I live very much like weeks and months ahead of the moments that I have right here. And 
because of that, I'm coming to find that I really missed out on a lot of life that was happening now. Alice Morse Oral said, Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that is why it is called the present. Right? Being present with my family, with God, with work, with anything is really hard. Right? Especially in today's world, there's endless distractions. Right? Social media, TV, text messages. I just got a text message right now. Um, Snapchats, uh, your, you know, DMs, you got work, you know, let alone just your own thoughts distracting you on top of all of that stuff. You're trying to balance healthy actions and good things into your life. But I still think this is probably one of the most important things that we can do. I mean, I believe that even when we're not living in the moment that we miss out on God. Because each moment, each you know, little happening of here right now is really all we can experience. The past won't be relived. The future is not guaranteed. It's not even here yet. But what we do have for certain is right now. At some point, you just have to let go of what you thought should happen and start living in what is happening. And I, I believe that, you know, we, we talked a bit about this, that we are eternal beings. It says that in our hearts, God has set eternity in us and a part of us, but yet we still live out time very different from our eternal God. God, God exists and there's this... Uh, like if, if God is outside of time, okay? So when he observes time, unlike us, you know, we, we only walk through time in one direction. And we're like, you know, if you're thinking like a timeline, like you had seen in history class, um, we're on the timeline only moving one way. We can think back about things of the past and we could dream about things of the future, but we can only walk that one way. But God, because he exists outside of time and he created, he's bigger than that. He views time as that timeline all the way from, you know, the future eternal forever to the forever eternal past. God views all of that. And so if you picture like this step is God's timeline, the way he views timeline and my way of viewing and our way of viewing time, the moment that I can be most connected with God is right now. Sometimes we get stuck back here. Right? Worrying about all the things in the past and God's here. You know, and we, we intersect God in the moments of what's happening right now. And we, we miss out on things like that. Psalm 1611 in the ESV says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when we're not living in the moment, we miss out on the presence of God. Right? We miss out on God right now, the fullness of joy that awaits us here right now. And I know like so far this just seems like a really weird out there concept to grasp. You're like, I don't know, you've gone too far for me, Pastor Angie, waiting for me to like hover and float and meditate in the now, right? Okay, and so we are going to look at some practical things. What does this actually look like um, in our lives? But God is spirit. He's not just physical like we are. And so some of the things of God are just not so easily grasped physically because he's not. Um, we talked back, you know, last year we talked, discussing the Trinity and we, we were discussing how to try and 
the best we can grasp and understand God as if like you were a 2D person. You know, if you were 2D, you're a flat piece of paper. You only have two dimensions. You got one side and the other. And if you lived in a 2D world and you're trying to explain to somebody what 3D world looks like, where people have more than two sides, people are like, hmm, that's a little weird. Right? But really, we, we live 3D and God lives in like 20D or something, you know, crazy. And we're trying to grasp all these different dimensions and, and facets of God that we can't fully understand because it doesn't fit into our world. Because we live actually more in his world. So we're going to look at some extremes and things that we need to hold on to and avoid and things that will take us away from being in this present moment. And the first thing that I believe takes us from our present time, from being here, is comparison. In John 21, chapter 21, we find this conversation that happens between Peter and Jesus. Right? This is the first encounter Peter has with Jesus after Jesus is, has been resurrected from the dead. You know, he, he was um, crucified, this gruesome death, died, rose again three days later. And he begins to meet with all the different disciples and stuff. But see, Peter, when Jesus was taken away and um, arrested, he started denying that he was ever a follower of Jesus. Right, as Jesus being led away, he denied him not just once, not even twice, but three times he denied that he was even ever with Jesus. I don't even know that man, he says. And obviously, as all of us will, he, he had some guilt from that. He, was, he had told Jesus many times, I'll never leave you. I'm always here for you. I'll fight for you. I'll never let that stuff happen to you. And here he is completely denying that he knew God and he's back out in his old life. He's back out being a fisherman that he was. He's literally out fishing in a boat. And Jesus comes and he appears to Peter where he's at. There's a little side note. I do believe that Jesus often comes to where we are. And part of the importance of being in the moment is because you might miss Jesus if you're not really here. If, if Peter is out there fishing and just daydreaming, thinking of the past. Man, I can't believe I denied Jesus. He may never have seen Jesus on the shore, you know, just feet up there if he had been completely out of that moment. So Peter, like I say, he sees Jesus on the shore and he's like, what? Jesus came for me and he jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. And he has breakfast with Jesus, which is like, isn't that great? That should be breakfast at Tiffany's. Not near as good as breakfast with Jesus, right? Um, but so verse 15 of chapter 21 of John, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referring to basically the life he had gone back to. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And Jesus continues, verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify, kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, "Follow me." So Jesus, he's in this little intimate moment thing there with Peter, and he's telling him, "If you're going to really live for me, if you really love me, 
you're probably going to die a not so great death, but it's for my glory. Come follow me. Verse 20 says, Peter turned around and he saw beside, behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Here's Peter. He's having breakfast with Jesus. Not just like Jesus, but Jesus that just rose from the dead, resurrected, you know, defeated death and searched him out, came and made him breakfast. He's speaking into Peter's life and Peter's distracted and taken from the moment by what? Comparison. Wondering and comparing himself to someone else, John. Man, how often in life do we look at our lives and then we look at someone else's and say, but what about them? Right? Jesus comes and he gives you a word or you get a message on Sunday or somebody sends you something or you read something on the internet and you're like, oh, that's so good. And, but then immediately you start comparing yourself to the other people that you see. Verse 22, Jesus replied to him after Peter asked, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if, you want him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. What is that to you? And one way to just stay in the moment is to focus on who God has called you and you alone to be and just walk that out. We often get stuck in our heads at that point of comparison, right? We see someone else doing something and say, well, I can't do that, so I've got nothing. We let anxiety and worry and all those things get in the way and of, of what we're really called to do. We get caught in the thoughts of, of who we thought we should be or trying to be like somebody else or who we aren't. But God didn't make you to be somebody you aren't, right? Psalm 139, 13 through 14, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. We are marvelously and wonderfully made. What makes you, you is not who you aren't. Right? We get really caught up here, right? You know, the, what makes you interesting is who you are, not the things that you are not. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not creative. I'm not musical. I'm not good at talking. I'm not, you know, disciplined enough to do these things. I'm not this and that and that. And we really get caught on those things that we are not because we look at other people who have these things and wish we had them in our lives. But it's not interesting who you are not, right? If you met somebody new and you're like, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. And they just started out with a list of things that they are not. That wouldn't be that great. I mean, it'd be interesting in a weird way, not interesting because you're like, oh, wow, I really feel like I know you now. Have you guys ever played the game Never Have I Ever? You know, are you like, I don't know, hold up five fingers or something and you all say something that you haven't done and everybody who has done it puts down a finger till they're out of the game or something along those lines. That game is not fun because you find out the people who don't do things. It's fun because you find out the things that people have done, right? Because that's what makes people interesting. When you focus on who you are not or what you don't have or where you haven't been or the, the skills, talents, and tools and all those stuff that you've convinced are not yours, then you're going to miss out on what God has for you right now. Right? At the same level as um, who you are not is not interesting, who others are should also not affect your life. 
God fearfully and wonderfully and marvelously made them as them and fearfully, wonderfully and marvelously made you as you. We have to get our eyes off of those people that we put on pedestals. You know, those who in our eyes have it all together, right? You know, those people that that their lives just seem effortless by the way you view it as you're trying to like trudge through all the grime of life and stuff. And you're like, everything just happens for those people and nothing ever works for me, you know? Um, Things aren't hard for them like they happen for me. But when our eyes are off of them and back on our creator, that puts us back in the moment. I just want, I feel like Jesus is just asking us today, what is that to you for other people around you? I didn't make you them. I made you, you. We rob ourselves of immeasurable joy, the fullness of joy, when we compare what we do know about ourselves with what we don't know about someone else. Right? You have your life and your life is not theirs and their life is not yours. You can always find someone out there who's better than you at something. Even the thing that you feel like you do best, you'll find somebody else out there who probably can do it better. And then they can probably find someone who can do it better. And they probably find somebody who can do it better. And always because we're all made so different and unique. But all of us have everything we need to live a godly life according to 2 Peter 1.3. God has a path of life for you. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life. It's not someone else's path. And it's on our path where we're going to find joy and pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. And I don't because that's the moment that we exist for. And that's where we intersect God. You know, I believe that social media has really only amplified this issue in our lives. Right? You have to be really careful when you're scrolling Instagram and Facebook, um, you know, not to compare your life to somebody's life on social media. Right? Nobody is on there going, look how horrible my life is all the time. You know, here's the worst moment of every day of my life. You know, like nobody would watch that. Maybe we should start an account like that. I think it'd be wonderful. Uh, But everybody posts their best moments, their favorite things, the things that they're excited about. And so we look at those things and we look at our life and we're like, that person's on another vacation? You know, or whatever. How many kids are those people going to have? You know, I don't know, all those type of things. And You're like, I'm glad that they're happy. Um, But I can tell you that many kids, they're not happy. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, right? But we take our worst moments and we compare it with people's best moments and that robs us of our moment now. Decide today that you will not spend your precious now moments speculating about someone else's life and how it compares with yours. Part of the problem with comparison, it leads us to worry and anxiety, right? If so-and-so is doing that, then, then I need to be doing more, or they seem perfect and I'm not, so how can I be like that, you know? Um, Lao Tzu um, says, if you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you're anxious and worried, you're living in the future. But if you are at peace, you are living in the present, right? Worry and anxiety literally come from not living in the moment. It's almost impossible to be in the moment and be worried. The moment you start worrying, you probably already put yourself in a different moment, whether it's someone in the past or something you're worried about in the future. Right? Worry comes from focusing on worst case scenarios of either the things that happen bad. You know, um, what's it like? I win 
10 out of 10 arguments I have in the shower with everybody that I could have had the conversations in. You know, but it's like, man, I spend my whole time showering so often thinking about, oh, if I would have just said that or said this or, you know, all those things or thinking about, okay, in, next time I run into them, this is what I'm going to say, blah, 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 you know? And it's like, I could have spent 20 minutes talking with God. And like probably actually accomplishing something with my life, you know, because I'm probably never going to run into that person. And when I do, I'll guarantee I'll forget everything I thought about in the shower. Uh, And we aren't guaranteed any of those things will happen. But what we do have is this moment, and we should make the very most of it and live in it. Matthew 6, 27, Jesus is talking and he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? then jumps down a few verses in 34 and he says, so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has its own worries, right? But today's trouble is enough for today, right? Worries cannot even add moments to your life, but what they do is take away moments from your life. And I want to be clear that I know that there is anxiety as, you know, a a mental illness thing as well. And I, I do think there's a difference, but I do believe that we can even work through a lot of that anxiety, if we can really focus on what we have right now. And um, for the longest time, I never dealt with anxiety stuff. Um, it, it was really, you know, I talked to a lot of people and I tried to be really understanding of it um, because I know everybody has different struggles. But when, I, when we left Waverly and we moved to um, Des Moines here, I wasn't in a good place. Um, our family wasn't in like a great place and um, not like physically, mentally. Um, but we moved here and I didn't have a job lined up. I was living in my cousin's house and, um, you know, as a, a father and a husband who wants to provide for my family, I'm literally doing none of that. And um, most nights, more often than not, I'd wake up in the middle of the night from like crazy panic, anxiety, like night sweats uh, and trying to like just be, I don't know, not overwhelmed with what was going on. And I get it. I get that the, the paralyzing feeling, the the almost desire to like, I can't do anything because what if it doesn't work and what if it doesn't go well and stuff. But what brought me out of that was honestly some really good friends who um, kept talking to me and kept working with me, but helped me heal my relationship with Jesus and understand that really each moment is all that I have. And to take advantage like, hey, if you're not working, spend time with your family. Work on that relationship with your kids that you were missed out on on all these years, you know, and all these things. And God took care of everything. I don't even have enough time to tell all the stories of what God did through all of that. But it's a crazy year. And somehow we ended up right here. Um, and our life is a thousand times different and better. And um sometimes those thoughts come back and things and it's just a reminder of like, all I have is right now. And so I'm going to do my best with what I have. You know, first Peter five, seven says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I love it. Like God doesn't say, don't worry just cause, you know, stop worrying. I hate when people are like, the Bible says, don't worry. You shouldn't worry. Great. Stop worrying, you know, and does it work? You know, I still worrying, you know, and uh, I love that the, the Greek, that, that word worries, actually comes from the root word to divide or distract. It's literally this verse saying, give your distractions to God. Give those things that are distracting you from the moment because he cares for you and he will help you and take care of that. You know, Jesus back in, uh, I, again, that, I just want to hit again that the idea of says, because God cares about you. Basically, it's like, don't worry about it because God's worrying for you. 
And I'd much rather have God worrying about it than me because he actually provides the answers, right? So back to Jesus talking in Matthew 6, verse 30 through 33. says, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And he'll give you everything you need. I just love that. Such a good reminder that God has everything that you need for you right now. Right? You may not have everything you need for tomorrow, but it's not tomorrow yet. God's not worried about tomorrow. He said, literally, he's worried about today. And so often we get caught up on, but God, what are you going to do about me tomorrow? He's like, can't you just be excited about what I'm doing for you right now? Return to the moment and live. He'll take care of the rest. Sometimes we need help kind of recentering, right? When we get caught up in the, the worry or anxiety in Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything. That's the verse that they like to use. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Like, do you even know what the rest of it says? They're like, no, I don't actually read the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. It says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. People often get this verse kind of confused because they get stuck on that first section that says, don't worry about anything. But I really think this verse could have been pieced together better. You know, like just, they don't talk about, they don't talk the way we talk today, you know? So it just doesn't make sense that same thing. But this verse is literally saying, worry about everything, just do it correctly through prayer. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You know, don't do this, but do this. It's literally saying, worry about everything, but just take it to God. Be anxious about everything in prayer to God. In the moment of worry, pray about it. Use it as a reminder to live in the moment. Okay, I'm worrying about tomorrow, but what can I do right now? I can pray. I can take it to God. Right? And remember, he's the one who's carrying and worrying about it for us. It'll center us back on the now because you're acknowledging that it is not now that I'm worrying about, but the one who can take care of me right now, now has it. I think the next thing that takes us away from being present is boredom. There's a purpose to life, right? And that means there's purpose in every single moment. Boredom, boredom takes us away from being purposeful in each moment. And like I was saying at the beginning, being present means being all in. And when you're bored about something, you're probably not all in at that time. And honestly, our world really helps us to be bored, right? And I'm not talking about just sitting around not having anything to do because we don't really do that anymore, right? But we have moments where we don't feel like there's a purpose, so we fill it by vegging out, watching um, TV. We're, I was just talking to a friend. Of the, he doesn't like that you can sit down and watch a whole, like, seasons of TV shows because he's like, I just miss the days when, like, a new show came out each week because it, like, limited. And I was like... You only watch one episode a day? Like, we're on a goal to eat a season a day. You know, like, um, but we veg out watching TV, right? Endlessly scrolling on Facebook and all these things. And because we're bored, there's no purpose. And we always have something to do. I mean, I remember as a kid being bored. And um, like, when I was bored, there really was like not as much stuff to fill it so quickly. 
right? You know, my kids, they get in the car. One second later, they're like, I'm bored. Can we turn on a movie? You haven't even buckled your seatbelt yet. You know, you got stuff to do. You know, and it's like, can I have your phone? I'm bored, but I'm bored. You know, right? When I was a kid, my favorite game to play in the car was stare out the window. You know, and eventually maybe make a game of it because that was all I had, you know? And, um, but we're the same, right? We don't have to ask for the phone because it's our phone, right? That's where our kids get it from. They just see you on your phone all the time. So they're like, I need a phone to be on. I'm bored. Right? We fill all of every moment of our life, social media, notifications, all those stuff, emails, another show, another YouTube video, you know, even just listening to music sometimes to fill the voids. Our boredom of life has really led us to fill our lives with these non-purposeful activities that take us out of our moments. Seriously, like checkout lines, waiting rooms, it's like weird to not be on your phone. You know, like when I forget my phone and I'm like waiting in line at the grocery store, like, maybe I don't need to buy anything today. I just need to get out of here, you know? Like, everybody else is on their phone. There's a comedian who's like, if we're both in an elevator and you're looking at me instead of your phone, like, I might punch you. That's just weird. Be a normal human being and pull out your phone, you know? Like, that's the society we live in today. My cousin and I, we were just walking on a beach in Florida. A beach in Florida, and a majority of the people were on their phones. It's like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> What does our world come to that you could be there overlooking the ocean and sunny outside and you choose to look at your phone? Honestly, my kids wouldn't be bored if I lived my purpose of being a dad and staying off my phone, right? 1 Timothy 5.13 says, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Right? They learn to be idle and leads them to busybodies. I mean, that's, that's our lives today. Busybodies. Just filling every moment we can with pointless things that distract us from living in the moment. Right? Boredom used to lead to laziness, but now it's just led us to being busyness. Right? Imagine being in that grocery store line. Instead of pulling out your phone, you started having a conversation with someone around you. And you find out that they're new to town and they don't have a church to go to yet. Or find out that they're in between um, going home from going back to the hospital to visit their spouse who's sick. And you can say, can I pray for them? Right? Or you actually realize that you're like, your cashier hates their job and you could actually take a moment and just bring some life to them by smiling at them and talking to them. Maybe you just need to fill that silence with listening to what God has to say to you. Jared Wilson said, boredom is a sin so long as Christ is infinitely beautiful because the good news proclaims the unsearchable riches of Christ who opens the window looking out on eternal mystery of the Trinity. It is endlessly absorbing, dazzlingly multifaceted. When we are bored, it can only be because we have stopped looking at Jesus. He can't be boring. And if we find him boring, it's because we are boring. The deficiency is ours, not his. Boredom is a sin because we are telling God that we are not looking at him because we do not believe him in that moment to be ultimately worthy of our attention and affection. Our boredom says God is not enough for us, so we are looking for something else. Though boredom may not lead to murder or adultery, it always indicates a dethroning of God and an enthroning of something other than him. 
man, isn't that, like, (laughs) I read that like 10 times, it was like, it has to be wrong, you know? Um, Now, I don't believe that, like, that moment you you have that first thought of, like, I'm kind of bored. I don't think you're, like, instantly, like, in sin. You're like, I just need something to do, you know? But it's what it leads to the more we follow into it and the more we don't choose God in those moments. Right, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Exodus, and we haven't quite gotten to what I'm talking about today. But in Exodus 19, where we did read is Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai to meet with God, to receive directions from God on how to, like, for all the Israelites to live. So on this mountain, they see this dark cloud come and thunder and lightning, and it shakes the whole mountain because God has come and ascended onto this mountain, descended onto the mountain, I guess. I don't know. I was confused because I ascend. He descends. Okay. Um, He's on top of this mountain. Moses goes up to meet God for instructions for all of these people. And while he's up there, he receives the Ten Commandments and all of these instructions. And it takes a really long time. It's 11 chapters of the Bible that he's receiving and he's trying to memorize and, and write, write and scribe into stone. I don't know. But it brings, brings us to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, verse 1, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain... They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. The people of God who could literally look up the mountain, see the cloud still there. This God that they watched come down, shake the mountain so violently that they were afraid of it. Moments later, you know, probably some days had passed. We're bored and ready to find a new God. I don't even know what happened to Moses. Went up there in that cloud. You know, remember that thunder lightning thing? And then he's gone. I don't think he's ever coming back. We need another God to lead us. And they make a golden cow. I mean, I don't know what's up with Old Testament and cows, but they traded the real God This real God who, you know, just moments before parted the Red Sea, they walked through it, they saw all these plagues, he just delivered them from from slavery, 350 years of slavery, all these things, and they get one moment of being bored in the desert and they're just, don't need God anymore. Let's worship this cow. If they could have stayed in the moment, remember the work that God was doing, things would have been different. But we do that all the time, don't we? We get tired of waiting on what God has for us. So we fill our lives with something else to lead us. Second Peter 3, um, verses 8 and 9 says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I love that verse uh, just because like so many times we're like just waiting on the Lord, you know, and I I mean, I believe we are supposed to wait. There is times for that, but we we really make it to be like this really long, hard thing. But this verse is like, you know, God's actually probably waiting on you to get a little bit more right, maybe hop back in the moment so that he can help you out there. I mean, have you ever been waiting around for someone so you just see them doing random things? You know, this happens to Victoria and I a lot. Like, she's ready to go. I'm ready to go. But I saw her, like, she went, went to the kitchen to do something. So I'm like, well, I better go over here and do something. I don't want to waste my time. And then she sees me doing something. She's like, oh, he's not ready to go. So she goes back, you know, and like four hours later, the house is clean, but we didn't actually make it to what we were supposed to make it to. And 
I think we do that to God all the time. God's waiting on us just to stand still, hop back in the moment and say, okay, God, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, you ready? Let's go. And, but we miss it because we're just trying to be so busy. God is in every moment. And yet so often I'm like, in that moment, I'd rather do anything. You know, <laughs> like open my phone and not even know why I'm opening my phone in that moment, you know? But God is there. He has a plan and a path for us. When we become idle and let the world then fill that, we miss out on the purpose that he has for us in that moment. Sometimes even in those moments, we, that missing of God leads to suffering for a while in our lives. When I was in Master's Commission, we did a, a series of inner healing prayer moments. And um, through that, I had this realization that I didn't have a view of God um, correct because of basically how I viewed my real dad. And I put that like, well, if God's the best father and like my dad, then, well, um, sorry, God, you know, I was talking about the past. No, but, uh, but I, I just had this misrepresented view of God. And um, so in this, this time of prayer, I'm like, okay, God, like I, I want to fix this. Why am I viewing this thing? And my basic problem was that I couldn't do anything good enough for my dad, what it felt like for my dad to be proud of me. And I put that on to God. And if God is perfect, I'm never going to be able to be good enough for God. And I, I was taking my prayer time to when this idea was first instilled in me. And it was kind of this weird, like out of body, you know, like you're watching a movie. Oh no, my notes just moved. That's not good. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It goes back to me in third grade and, um, I played flag football, and um, our team was, like, super awesome. We won maybe one game in three years, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, there was third grade flag football, and nobody really, I, you know, it was just, like, for fun, right? And we we rotated positions, you know, so we, there'd be weeks we didn't have, even have, like, the one kid who couldn't even throw the football was, like, quarterback, like, you know, every four weeks, and it was, like... Well, guess we're losing this game, you know? And, um, and that was just kind of how it was. And there was this, this game that the night before, one of my cousins came and stayed the night at my house, and we stayed up all night laughing and, you know, being kids. And uh, we get to the game, and it was one of those games that I, I wasn't even, like, really in the rotation to play very much. And so I barely played that game. My main job was cheering from the sidelines. And um, we lost, which, like I said, was fairly normal. And um, we get in the van to drive home. And my dad turns back at me and says, we lost the game because you stayed up late last night instead of getting rest so that you're ready for this game. You know, and I, I've forgiven my dad. We're, we have a good relationship, so that's that. But in that moment, I instantly knew I, I'll never succeed at making my dad happy. And um, I began to project that view on God all the way from, you know, eight years old or so. And um, so in this, this prayer time, you know, I'm, I'm sitting, you know, I'm watching myself, little third grader me, real cute, you know, and I'm sitting, <laughs> sitting in the van. And, um, you know, I watch that happen. My dad turn and, and tell me that. And I see like tears coming down my face and, um, okay, God, like, why, why are you showing me this? And he goes, 
but do you see where I am in this moment? And so all of a sudden, like, I see that Jesus was there right next to me going, hey, but you did your best. You know it's fine. And in those moments, we really miss out on truth when we get so caught up in what's happening physically that we, okay, God, why were you, why were you not there in that moment? And he goes, I was in that moment. You just weren't tuned to me. You just weren't hearing what I had to say. And it was 10 years of my life that I like really didn't grow in my relationship with God a whole lot because I felt like I was never going to be able to. You know, and there's so much, so much for you guys right now that, that you might be going through something and you're like, God, I don't understand. And God's like, I'm just right there with you. Just focus on me in that moment. And I have some truth for you. I have something that's going to change your life. And I, this is so important to grasp. We, our whole society is built around, you know, your five-year goal, your 10-year goal. When are you going to make it to retirement? All this stuff. But God doesn't care. That's not his plan. He has a plan for you right now. And that's the plan he wants to see you working out. Because if we're not doing it now, then we won't ever make it to the things that he has for us. So, I don't know. We just got to be in it. Be in that moment. The third main thing that takes us away from being present is really forgetting or not knowing why we are here. I know we're going a bit long today, but I hope it's good still. Um, you know, we, kind of, we work a lot of these dead-end jobs, you know, to pay bills that lead, let us live a certain standard of life. And we continue to do that job and not really find life, but really like draining of life in us. And it's, I'm not saying to not work our jobs, but we, we miss out on our purpose. Our purpose isn't to work. We talked about that in the work and rest. That's why it's a foundational purpose to this. Um, if you want to know more about that, go listen to that message. But, you know, even, even a lot of times we come to church and it just becomes another thing that we do, another place that we go, and we often even do that without purpose. Right? The Japanese language has this really cool word called um, aikagai. I think that's the best that I can say it. I'm not very good at Japanese. But um, the definition of that is your reason for being. It's like the reason that you wake up every day. Right? And often... This idea can take us out of our moment, though, as well, because we start focusing on, like, what's the huge calling on my life? When usually what God's called us to is right in, the, in front of us, right? It's in the moment. It's not what God is calling, to, calling you to do five years from now. It's what is God calling from you right now. And we have two great calls on our lives at all times. We have the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And we have the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor. And we've talked about before, loving God is really comes down to loving those around us. You know, so who's around you? Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your church, your actual neighbors, your coworkers. You have a purpose in every moment. And a lot of times the purpose is who God has put in front of you, right? In every moment, you have someone to love on. That's always your purpose. Now, I do believe there's something special about every single one of us. We talked earlier about how what makes you interesting is who you are and not who you are not. And you're the only one who can love like you can. And the world needs you to love in the way that you do. I just heard this picture of us, you know, in the garden we were created in God's image. And uh, 
when we get saved, it's a, you know, Jeremiah says that he's placed in us like a new heart. And the idea is that like, it's really God's heart divided up into every single one of us, that his whole heart has been distributed throughout the earth, but not every single person has all of it because we couldn't handle it. But together as one thing, loving, we're all loving and being God to the world. You know, it's kind of like that picture of like one body, you know, we talk about a lot. Now, I, I do believe that there's only one unique you that can love like you can. And often the place that the world needs you in is that place where there's a little bit of extra friction. You know, in the video that we watched, um, the second balance artist guy, he says the secret to being able to balance is not having a flat, smooth surface to balance on. But that the best surface to balance on is at the places with the most friction. Right? When you find that place of friction in your life, you're living in that purpose. And it doesn't mean that you, you can't work your other jobs and things. It just gives you that reason that you wake up for. Right? And a lot of times that place of friction comes from your life experiences. You know, maybe you dealt with a mental illness and from that place you are now able to talk and love those people who deal with mental illnesses. Right? Maybe you dealt with grief from the lo- a loss of some sort and now you can love those who are dealing with grief better than other people who haven't. Maybe you were an addict and now you get to help other people who are trying to be sober. For me, it's those who are hopeless. And even deeper recently, those who have been hurt by the church because that's supposed to be the greatest source of hope. I put this statement on my Facebook over 12 years ago, 13 years ago, that says, I live to show this world there is hope that comes from God's love by loving unconditionally. That's the reason I wake up every day. Because a God out there, in here, wherever, loved me so much and instilled some hope in me that I would do the same to people around me. And that looks different every day, every moment throughout my life. It changes from youth pastoring to pastoring here to helping someone fix their car to cleaning toilets to playing with my kids, driving school buses. It's about living out that purpose in each moment that you are in. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That, that's the, come back to the moment and make the most of it. Colossians 4.5, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Bob Goff, he's the author of a book called Love Does. It's a great book. I'm, if you're looking for something to read, um, find that book. Um, But he says in there, he says, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Succeeding at what God gives you in the moment is the most important thing that we can do. And sometimes it literally is just cleaning the toilet. And other times it's going to be that thing that you've dreamt of doing your whole entire life. And you're going to go, this is why I was created. But every moment is the path that gets us there. You know, love on those next to you because that moment may never come again. Tell someone about God in that moment. Take a breath and just listen to what God may be telling you right now. At the Dalai Lama said there are only two days in the year that nothing can be done. One is called yesterday and the other one is called tomorrow. So today is the right day to love 
believe, do, and mostly live. If it's not right here, right now, it doesn't really exist. Either the past doesn't exist anymore, the future has not existed yet, and a real experience from God is always right here in the moment. And all we can do is answer Jesus' call to follow him daily. To keep balance and being present, we need to avoid comparison and only strive to be more like Jesus. Let today be today and not worry about tomorrow. We avoid boredom by knowing what we were created to do and living each moment purposefully and make the most of each moment to love, to be loved, to find friction, your place, and find your balance. I'm going to pray, and I know we've been a little long today, but we're still going to do communion. Um, We're just going to do it in small groups after my prayer, and then you guys are free to go. But um, let's pray. Jesus, I just ask that you would help us to be present in every moment of our lives. Don't let us compare ourselves to others that we might be taken away from the very purpose we were created for, to follow you. Don't let us worry incorrectly, but let us worry about everything in prayers to you. And let us find our trust in you and be reminded of your provision. Don't let us become idle busybodies, but a people passionate about loving others and fulfilling the Great Commission. Keep us in the moment so that we would never miss a moment of your presence. Amen. Right. Um, like I said, we're going to do communion in small groups like we have in the past. So just find a person or two around you. Um, the directions will be up on the screen um, with uh, scripture to read, then pray over it, and then take your stuff. Um, but today as you take communion, hey, hold on, guys, real quick. Today as you take communion, live in this moment, right? God has brought you to this moment, and he brought this moment for you, that Jesus' death and resurrection has literally given you this moment to receive the love that God has for you. So do this in remembrance of him. Amen? Okay, go ahead, take communion.